Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity, the podcast that explores the inspiring stories, strategies, and insights behind the growth and success of rural communities. We're excited to present our spinoff series, Espresso with Entrepreneurs, where we're brewing up captivating conversations with remarkable entrepreneurs who are making a real difference in their rural communities. Whether you're a budding entrepreneur, an advocate for rural development, or simply curious about the transformative power of community-driven initiatives, Espresso with Entrepreneurs will inform, inspire, and equip you on your own journey towards a brighter, more prosperous future. Join me, Leanne Seiler, as we embark on this adventure, coffee in hand, uncovering the stories that shape our rural communities and exploring the many pathways to rural prosperity. Today is going to be great. We started out with an idea about a Christmas gift for our listeners and ended up maybe going more towards a Happy New Year celebration to start the new year off right. And then I got COVID for Christmas and I lost my voice. And here we are this morning during the blizzard of Oz, finally getting together. So Happy New Year. Many people have heard the entrepreneurial story behind these guys, but so many have not and only know them as the guys that started Network Kansas so many years ago. Today, you'll get to hear more about the story behind the story, really learn what makes these guys tick and why they're so passionate about what they do for our Kansas communities, and really, now with E2, people all over the nation. Welcome, Steve and Eric. This is going to be fun. Let's get started by having you each briefly introduce yourselves, and to begin with, tell me what your favorite coffee is. Well, thank you, Leanne, and we look forward to sharing. My favorite coffee is the chain Starbucks. My daughter worked there for a while, and uh, cafe mocha from Starbucks. Very good. Eric? Yeah, thank you again, Leanne. This will be a lot of fun. Mine would be probably Roots Java from, <laughs> from Clifton Talbert. And I've also developed kind of a soft spot for Black Rifle Coffee. There's a pretty good veterans story behind it that I've learned about. So those are probably my two favorites. All good options. Okay. Now, I guess I should start by saying I have a number of favorite. One of mine is Rich Java just because I love Clifton Talbert. Another one's Red Buffalo and it comes from Sudan, Kansas. And that it's just a really good smooth coffee. But I have a niece in Guatemala and they own a company called Chica Bean. So I say all that. And this morning I'm drinking Folgers Half Calf because this is my <laughs> second pot. <laughs> so, all right, we'll get started. Let's start with both of you briefly sharing your entrepreneurial journeys, how you got started, how it really prepared you to lead Network Kansas and this one-of-a-kind organization with a mission to empower entrepreneurs. And we talked a little before this started, but you go back even further than I thought you went back. Yeah, it's hard to talk about our entrepreneurial journey because we kind of did it together for a long time. Eric and I's parents, who are still good friends, went to high school together. And so we've known each other a long time. And we both lived in Wichita. And I, after I got my MBA, I began work for a company called Bright Voice Systems. At the time, Eric and I were working at Sears, which at the time was the number one retailer in the world. That was in the 80s, which dates us. But our entrepreneurial journey, I think, really began with a startup technology company, believe it or not, in Wichita, Kansas, called Bright Voice Systems. And Eric and I both worked there for seven or eight years. Eric? When we get an opportunity to have these kind of conversations, it does date us because I reference the fact that we worked at a technology company together, but our technology was touchtone telephone. So that really dates us. That was one of our technologies. There were others. <laughs> From there, as we still worked at Bright Voice and then we were transitioning to a mobile home dealership, 
And I'll kind of let Steve reference that in just a second because it ties in with his family. In between, we also purchased a restaurant together. It was an existing, probably a fair representation would be a small poor man's Panera in West Wichita that we purchased together. It had been in existence six or seven years. We didn't do so well with that. So that was the bad side of our entrepreneurial journey. But we did that together as well. And then we co-founded, I guess you could say, or co-started one mobile home dealership, and then it grew into two. And because it ties in a little with your dad and brother, Steve, I'll kind of let you take it. Yeah, I might add that the bakery we bought was really our first experiment. And that gets back to wanting to stay in Kansas. Bright Voice Systems was beginning to look at transitioning and actually did move outside the state. And we wanted to stay in Kansas. So we were trying to figure out what we could do in Kansas. And Panera did not exist. It existed as St. Louis Bread and Bakery Company at the time. So it was an interesting time. But during that time, I worked briefly for the Wichita State Foundation in development for the College of Business. And I would go around and I met a lot of entrepreneurs. And so there's two things I, I realized when I was talking to all these entrepreneurs and people that I was trying to get to donate money to Wichita State. And they were either one of two things. They either had experience in an area and then just it migrated to that, like an engineer started an engineering firm, or they were a family-owned business. And so I realized you either had to have experience or you had to have access to experience. And that's why Eric and I migrated to the manufactured housing industry, because my dad and brother and another partner had two dealerships in Tulsa and were doing really well. And so that's kind of why we migrated to manufactured housing. I'm just curious, when you guys started the bakery, were either one of you bakers? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we weren't. We had been to several bakeries, but we were not bakers. (laughs) That is brave. Not not only did we have no experience in the restaurant business, but we didn't work there. We bought it and hired a manager. And Eric and I both tell this story when we're presenting. I was talking to Dale Stephen, who owns Spangles which is a large restaurant chain in Kansas. And he said, you won't last 12 months. And <laughs> and I said, why? He said, because you're not there every day. And we always say we showed him we lasted 18 months in that business. <laughs> More than half over his expectation. <laughs> That's right. He, un- he underestimated <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I still think of you as entrepreneurs. I mean, Network Kansas is really an entrepreneurial journey as well. Even the time that I've been involved, it's morphed and changed and is constantly developing and growing new reaches and things. When you were in the trenches of entrepreneurship, I guess, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced and how'd you overcome them? And I kind of think that you maybe had a leg up on it because Steve, you had a father that was an entrepreneur and could probably give you some really good advice, but what were some of your biggest challenges other than like the restaurant that you weren't there every day? Yeah, we got into the business at a really good time. My dad and my brother and the other partner were our partners. So one of the advantages we had was that we had access to knowledge. My dad famously said that I will let you make a $5,000 mistake, but I won't let you make a $50,000 mistake. And so I think part of the journey of being an entrepreneur is embracing the fact you're going to fail. 
And so I think the biggest challenge was there was significant difference, believe it or not, between Kansas manufactured housing sales and Oklahoma manufacturing housing, what the requirements were and things like that. So we had to adapt and adjust to that. And Eric was really good at that. Well, there were many challenges in that industry and in that business, Liam, but a couple that come to my mind were that, as Steve mentioned, when we first got into the business, it was at a really good time for the business. And so there were a lot of competitors around us. And for the most part, the inventory that we carried was not drastically different than the inventory that our competitors carried. There were differences, don't get me wrong, but they were relatively similar at whatever price point you were looking for a manufactured home at. So most of the time, it truly came down to who was the best salesman. Mm -hmm. And was it our lot or was it another dealer's lot? And that would win the business. Was truly, it was a game of who is the best salesman. And as we were in the business a little bit longer, it began to take a downturn and the financing became much more difficult. And some of the competitors went away. We still were around, but it was a different climate. It was a climate where credit was much more difficult. The banks were really only wanting to approve higher credit score customers. And so the type of environment we were in was much more difficult. And where in the beginning, we had to be better salesmen than others to, I think I'm trying to remember, but I think maybe we had to probably deliver six to eight homes a month to be fine. In the beginning, it came to us outselling other competitors to get that number. At the end, it became just really having to work hard seven days a week to find the right customers to hit that number. So there were a lot of challenges, but interestingly, the challenges came during both a really good time in the industry and a difficult time in the industry. Yeah, I might add to that. So we opened in March of 1997 and Champion Enterprises purchased all of our dealerships 18 months later. And when we were purchased, by Champion out of Michigan. They were a $2 billion organization and had over 230 retail locations and 67 plants. When we left to start Network Kansas, we were one of the last 15 retail locations they had. I often tell people I'm more proud of the fact that we were able to be successful in the downtimes. And that's one of the things that every entrepreneur should realize and understand is if times are good and everyone's doing good, you don't know how good you are. When times get bad, that's when you find out if you know what you're doing. And so for every entrepreneur, don't ever assume that it's always going to be good. And that was the experience that my father brought. He'd been in the business 30 years and he knew that one of the reasons we exited was he knew, he said, I've never seen it up this long without a downturn. And so that's why we exited. That makes me wish I had like a little, some type of a musical thing set before I could just ding, like, look, there's a nugget right there for the entrepreneurs. (laughs) You know, I've heard that echoed also with Dave Hill and Clifton Talbert have said similar things. So I believe that it's coming from a place that many entrepreneurs get to and realize that. Something else you just said, I think it was Eric, when you were in the point where 
the market was getting tough and they only wanted to lend a really good credit scores and things like that. I see a real connection there to Network Kansas and some of the things that Network Kansas does for small entrepreneurs in the Empower program and the e-community program. So this might be a good place, unless there's something else. I don't want to run you short on time, but to kind of switch over to Network Kansas and the mission behind that and how that got started. I've heard the stories about just the two of you in a basement type, you know, <laughs> looking at each other saying, how do we build this? And now what is there, 26, 28 people? And it's still changing on a daily basis. Yeah. One of the significant advantages we had when we started is that we did come from the private sector. And so we didn't have a lot of preconceived notions on how things should be done. So we did them in the way we would any startup. And so we identified what the mission is from the statute. Patty Clark, Deputy Secretary of Kansas Department of Commerce, always said, read the statute, read the statute. And one of the clear things that we learned early was that we had to work through our partner networks. And that was really difficult for us in the beginning because we were from the private sector. And so we had to slow down. I think the mistakes that people that come from the private sector into the nonprofit or government sector make is that they try and go too fast early. That was a significant help for us that we came from the private sector. And, you know, a a couple lessons from the manufactured housing business that Steve's dad instilled in us that I think still transitioned over to those early days as we were trying to learn the public sector and meet partners and understand who the economic development directors were. Of course, you were one in those days, Leanne. You were an early <laughs> an old one. An early <laughs> friend of ours. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe all three of us are old. <laughs> but Steve's dad, a couple of the lessons that he taught us, one of them was something that we repeat all the time is just meet issues head on. That was something that we were kind of forced to do because we were new to this. But another one that I think still transcends today, and I think about this one often, was he always had an example of a Walmart store. And he said, if you're in a Walmart store and you're walking down the aisle and you get ready to turn right down this aisle and you see a customer of yours, or nowadays it could be a partner of ours or somebody in our network, and you see them, even if they're not really happy with you at that point, for whatever reason, you need to be able to walk right up to them and say hi, because they know you're doing your dead level best to do the right thing and take care of them. They may not be exactly happy with you, but you don't have to skip that aisle. You need to be able to walk right up and embrace them and then know you're working for them. And I think those two values those two lessons that were kind of told to us, I think they really cover lots of things that Network Kansas does when you get to the core of it. That's really good advice. I'm thinking probably, Steve, we need a book, literally a book of some of the things that your dad has taught you. And then maybe you and Eric could add things to it as you go along. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny you say that because A lot of people have asked us to write a book about the history of Network Kansas. And part of our issue is we're more action-oriented, and it's a little bit boring to me to write a book. (laughs) But my dad, he does have a title for his book. He always said if he was going to write a book, the title would be It's All in the Presentation. And I think that's a really important point, that everything that you do, how you present yourself, 
how you relate to others is critical to the success of your organization. And I think that, let's face it, the success of Network Kansas is something that we learned early, and that is that empowering others, empowering our partners, was a concept that doesn't exist a lot in the public sector. It's one thing to say that you want to empower others. It's another to actually allow others to make decisions on the assets that you have. Our partners are the ones that make us look successful. Yeah. I've sat in on a number of meetings with partners as their financial review boards make decisions with Network Kansas Money. And they're all different, but they're all good. They all have good questions and they all take their responsibility very seriously in their communities and want to be good partners. I might just add one thing. Of course, we're operating this large federal program right now called the State Small Business Credit Initiative. And we talk to organizations all across other states and everything. And I will tell you, we haven't run into anybody that allows others to make decisions the way that our organizations do in Kansas. And let me jump in on that, Leanne, because you were referencing it a minute ago. I mean, isn't it not only fascinating, but it's a testimony, I think, to all of our partners in the network across Kansas that while a part of our success is allowing the local empowerment, that could easily go south if our partners and our communities didn't take their stewardship of that money seriously. Absolutely. Yeah. At the end of the day, they know it's not their money, but they still treat it just as seriously. And I think that decision-making process becomes a real win-win out of this. I also believe the the borrowers are in the same boat because when you look at the statistics, there, are, of course, have been loans that have gone bad. Businesses have closed and failed and not made it. But the majority of those people continue to pay those loans back because they want that money to go on to other entrepreneurs in their communities. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. A little off topic, but Steve, I need to probably meet your dad because I agree with his presentation part. I'm not a very good cook, but I really believe in setting the table beautifully. And then people don't really realize what they're eating sometimes if everything else looks good. But I'm a firm believer that that's a lot to that. So you started to talk about this just a little bit about the impact that Network Kansas has had on the entrepreneur, how different it is than many other entrepreneurial support groups. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that Network Kansas has had on the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Kansas and maybe outside the state of Kansas, to be honest, now that it's growing and spreading? Well, I think there's a couple layers. If it's okay, I'll jump in first on this one. Obviously, we've spent the last five or six minutes discussing the local empowerment and how the loans and the finances, and we absolutely recognize that is really an important part of what we do. But I think another part of the success of this mission between Network Kansas and the Kansas communities and entrepreneurs we work with is that the loan funds offers us access to work closer with communities, whether it be through our e-community effort or just our regular everyday business. The money gives us a better seat at the table or as Simone Elder coached me many years ago, a seat on the bus because a table is stagnant and a bus is always moving. But it gives us a seat at the table with that local community to talk about their ecosystem, to talk about gaps in the system, talk about areas of need to where we can then find other avenues that we can engage 
at Network Kansas. So I think that the loan funds are very, very important, but the opportunity to also layer that in with entrepreneurship programming or technical assistance to help a business perform better with their loan is all part of that ecosystem. I've always thought that the money is kind of the carrot. It's an important one, but that gets you started down the road to the really important, the things of value. Go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I think that the other piece to that, and we've always taken this really seriously, is the money's important. The capital's important. And what we have found is our small piece of that capital food chain can make a lot of things happen that didn't. So a bank, maybe wants to loan more and use our working capital. So for every dollar we're putting in, there's a lot more money going into the system. So the impact, I think now I was looking the other day and through our loans and equity programs, we've made over 80 million in loans and equity investments. And that has leveraged probably 600 plus million now in capital going to entrepreneurs all across the state. And so I think one of the things that's really important is that execution is important. And so what has happened in Network Kansas is that because our communities execute, because our partners execute, more opportunity naturally comes our way. We have two or three organizations trying to figure out how do I get something across the state? And they come to us first. And then our communities become distribution channels for assets that go to entrepreneurs. And I think we've achieved a scale that's hard to do. Yeah, actually, I have a little sign on my computer over here that says capital flows to positivity and hustle. And I think that's another way of saying that. That's when you're going to find the funds is when you have good places to put them and you're executing. That kind of leads us to where we're at today. I'm excited about all the upcoming programs and opportunities in 2024, the partnerships with Nexus, the partnerships with K-State 105. Do you have anything that you're just really pumped about, about this new year? Other than, of course, we'll just start out with Eric's going to become a grandfather (laughs) soon, (laughs) like maybe today. But other than that, what other things are you just really pumped about, about this new year and new directions that Network Kansas is going? Well, I'll tell you, that's a great question. And Yeah. First of all, thank you for saying that. I'm excited for our grandson to be born any moment now. But of the 26, 27 people at Network Kansas, there are some amazing people here. I mean, across the board, we're surrounded with some incredibly talented people. And when Steve talked about execution, top to bottom, left to right, we're really good at execution. And a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for that. What really excites me, I think, as I look forward, is that we seem to be, as an organization, communicating much better, aligned much better, working together much better. And I think, or even better, I don't want to say much better. That makes it sound like maybe it wasn't as good, but even better. And I think that's only going to lead to greater things happening, whether it be others, as Steve said, looking to have us help deploy assets for them or other things that we're already working on, individual employees ascending in different things. So I just think that some of the internal work we've intentionally done as a company is going to really begin to pay dividends this year. Very good. Steve? Yeah. I th- Eric, I think you make a great point about that. We had a meeting yesterday that was an all-staff meeting, and we were talking about this. In the past, when we were smaller, 
it was pretty easy to maintain a corporate culture of growth and change and being innovative and being adaptable. But we've done a lot of work in this last year. 27 people is a lot different than three years ago. And Steve, I might interject and then come right back to you. 27 people of which only about 13 are all in the same building. The rest are dispersed (laughs) across the state. So that's an added layer of difficulty. And anyway, I want to interrupt there, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah. And that's a really good point because it doesn't seem like it because I see about six in Wichita (laughs) and then everyone else is all across the state. But the most exciting part of that is we always say this or I say this a lot, you have to go slow to go fast. And so we've gone slow to get more organized, to get more pieces in place so that we can go fast. And I'm excited about the fact that there's still opportunities coming to us on a weekly basis, and we're having to sift through those to make sure that they are mission aligned. But the opportunities are there. And they're there to even go deeper and make a bigger difference at the community level. And that's what we're striving for. We don't want to be a state organization where we're doing things at the top. We want communities to be driving it. And that's the exciting part to us. I love that. Well, this has been awesome. I love founder stories. They're so inspiring. They give us all hope. Honestly, knowing that someday we'll all of us get to look back on our missteps as kind of cha-chas and our entrepreneur, you know, the one step forward, two steps back and make it more fun that way. But I have one final question that we give to all of our guests. If you had just one single piece of advice for entrepreneurs and especially young entrepreneurs, what would it be? And we'll start with Steve on this one. Well, my one piece of advice is all around finances. So it's a couple of pieces. One is don't mess your credit up. Credit's important. And the other piece is make sure that the capital you need is the capital you need and don't get yourself into more debt than you can handle. And I think that's just critical. Your business has to make money. And the less debt you go into it with, the more money you can make. And that's what business is about, is about turning a profit. And so keep that always in the back of your mind. Very good. Mine would be don't go it alone. Entrepreneurship, the perception is that you're a pirate out on a ship or you're out on an island trying to make a go of it. And in many ways, that's reality. But as Steve and I learned, especially with the bakery business, where we kind of did go that alone, and we found that in the manufactured housing business, we didn't have to. We had some smart people we could surround ourselves with. And as we've learned through 19 years in this business, This state is flush with really smart people that are economic development directors, chambers, you name it. So if you're an entrepreneur, you may be a one-person shop. It may only be your capital. You may be bootstrapping it from the beginning, and that's perfectly fine, but it still doesn't mean you have to operate in a vacuum. There are a lot of people you can rely on. So my piece of advice is don't go it alone. And I have to say, I did not ask them to say that, but that's one of the key reasons why this podcast exists, so that you're not alone. So you can listen to these other entrepreneurs' stories and be able to even reach out to them and say, hey, we have something similar. Can I talk to you? So I love that. Thank you. Thank you both for this excellent advice. And thank you to our listeners for joining us and for all that you do in your rural communities to make this world a better place. Join us in this new year as we continue to encourage one another on our entrepreneurial journeys. 
over coffee. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us this morning. There's a lot of things we didn't cover this morning because of the time. Maybe we can do this again someday. We'd welcome it. That was a lot of fun. Thank you, Leanne. Yes, thank you. I always enjoy talking about it. 